0: Jesus warns us against visible, ostentatious, hypocritical religion. The remedy to that kind of thing is to make a point of doing our acts of righteousness in secret, discreetly. And the reason he gives us for doing that is this wonderful, this extraordinary prospect of the Father's reward.
1: Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Today we begin a message called Invisible Religion. And uh, Jonathan, we've been talking in our series about good works and how they will be a natural outcome or, or fruit of a life that knows Jesus. But I hear you saying that if we do those, and when we do those, we're not to make a big deal of them at all. In fact, maybe even the fewer people who know about that, the better.
0: Our instinct when we do good is to want other people to see it, other people to know about it, and it's really tough for us to take on board the teaching of Jesus that when we obey him and seek to honor him, we are not to seek the praise of others, and that's that's just tough because we like attention and we like praise, but that's what Jesus is calling us to, and when we think about it, we realize it makes sense because on our own, we, we can't generate good works if the Lord Jesus has changed our lives such that we begin to obey Him, well, it's His work, it's His accomplishment by His Spirit, and so we really don't deserve any any praise for that.
1: Well, we're going to continue to look at this today from Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our series called God's Blueprint for a New Society, so I hope you will open your Bible and join us there as we begin our message. Here is Jonathan.
0: You may be familiar with the incredible story dramatized by Hollywood a few years ago of Frank Abagnale, one of the most extraordinary con men who has ever lived. Between the ages of 15 and 21, Abagnale successfully passed himself off as a commercial airline pilot, a medical doctor, and a lawyer. On one level, it's a highly entertaining story, but it's also actually quite frightening as well. As a pilot, Abignale was entrusted with hundreds of lives on a plane that he didn't know how to control. As a medical doctor, he was responsible for care, urgent care, that he did not know how to give and yet he managed to put on such a convincing show over so many months and years in so many different contexts, and he was completely undiscovered for a long time. Here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is at pains to highlight for us the danger of religious hypocrisy, the danger of acting it out without reality, of behaving religiously for the sake of impressing a watching crowd. In chapter 5, Jesus had been showing us what it looks like to live righteously as His saved people, as His kingdom people, as members of His new society. But having called us to live in this distinctive way in chapter 5, He now issues this warning at the beginning of chapter 6. Jesus knows the human heart very well. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. And he understands that as we latch on to this challenge to live as his kingdom people in chapter 5, this challenge to live out this righteousness, we're going to be tempted immediately to start looking over our shoulder just to check that there are people watching how very righteously we're living. And so he issues this clear warning, chapter 6 and verse 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, literally, be careful not to practice your righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, he says, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus warns us here against the danger, the hypocrisy of practicing religion just for show, of trying to be as visible as possible in our acts of righteousness, As he issues this warning to us, Jesus touches on three key spiritual practices, giving, prayer, and fasting, which serve to illustrate and apply the warning and the principle. Now, we're going to come to those illustrations in a few moments, but we're going to begin with the heart of the warning itself. Beware visible religion. Quite appropriately, the language Jesus uses here is the language of the stage, the language of theater. In verse 1, where he urges us not to do our acts of righteousness before people, to be seen by them, the word in the original translated to be seen by them is the Greek word theathenai. We get our word theater from it. And the idea is to be gazed upon by an audience as we act on stage. And similarly, when Jesus warns us in verse 2 not to announce our giving as the hypocrites do, well, the Greek word behind hypocrites is the word that also means actor, someone who's putting on a show, someone who's faking it. And Jesus' point here is that it's all too easy for our acts of righteousness to be done for show, but not really for the Lord. That's what so many were doing in Jesus' day. That's what He observed all around Him. People were giving to the needy, verse 2, but they were announcing it with trumpets to be honored by men. They were praying, verse 5, but they were doing so standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. They were fasting, but as they did so, verse 16, they were disfiguring their faces so that everyone around them would know that they were doing it. The real issue here, I suppose, is the issue of motivation. What's driving this righteous behavior? Is it to please God, or is it to impress people? And of course, for the religious hypocrites of Jesus' day, for these actors, it was clearly the latter. Now, in addressing this question of motivation and offering us his remedy, you might think that Jesus would kind of sit us down and talk to us about our hearts search your heart, examine your heart, get your heart straight. That's what we would think Jesus would say to us. But Jesus is so shrewd in dealing with people like us. He knows that if we just spend time gazing within and considering the state of our heart, we're not going to get anywhere. We're not going to make progress. We're not terribly effective at performing spiritual heart surgery on ourselves. No, Jesus knows that the heart is the issue, but to get at the heart, he challenges us to address our behavior. We're going to see him do this again in Matthew. It's an immensely practical book. We need to deal with our actions if our heart is going to change. And so notice with me, his instructions for this change of heart are consistently practical. Verse 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. So, verse 2, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. Simply don't do it. But verse 3, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, verse 5, don't make a splash about it. But verse 6, go into your room, close the door. That's going to be your safeguard. And when you fast, verse 16, don't disfigure your face. But verse 17, Pour oil on your head, wash your face, look bright and fresh so that no one will notice. When warning us off the danger of being hypocrites, of being actors when it comes to practical religion and to spiritual disciplines, Jesus doesn't send us off for a time of introspection and self-examination. He tells us simply to change our behavior, to avoid those behaviors that are going to be dangerous for us and that are going to be undermining to us. He tells us, move out of the public spotlight intentionally, and instead be carefully and intentionally private and discreet. Practice these disciplines, these acts of righteousness, in places and ways where they won't attract attention for attention's sake. That's the remedy, if you like, immensely practical. And having pointed us to the remedy for this hypocrisy, Jesus then sets out the reason for being careful about these things, and the reason is simply this. If we practice our righteousness for the sake of impressing other people, we will have no reward from our Father in heaven. Again, he states this point at the beginning and then repeats it three times. Verse 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven." When the religious hypocrites, when the actors do their giving to be seen by others around them, they receive their reward in the form of the praise and attention of their peers. When the hypocrites make a great show of their giving, verse 2, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. When the hypocrites make a great show of their praying to be seen by men, verse 5, they have received their reward in full. When the hypocrites make a great show of their fasting to show men that they are fasting, verse 16, they have received their reward in full. That's what Jesus says. It's perhaps not what we expect. It seems a little bit surprising, but Jesus assumes that there will be a reward for what he calls acts of righteousness. There will be a reward for giving, for praying, for fasting. The question is not whether the reward will come. The question is from whom the reward will come. And here are the two options. There will either be a reward from the watching crowds, from other people who observe what we're doing, or there will be a reward from the Father. It's one or the other and we get to choose. Which one do we want? The reward from the crowds will simply be their attention, their noticing what we do. Perhaps if we're very believable and impressive in the way we do those things, perhaps our reward will even be their praise. On the other side, the second option is that we will receive a reward from our heavenly Father. Now, perhaps disappointingly to us, this reward is not described or defined in any way here in the passage. We would love some further insight here, but it's simply not given. But it's a strange thought, and perhaps one that we actually struggle with a little bit. The idea that God would reward His people for their service, for our service of Him. We struggle with the idea because we know that we're saved by grace and through faith. We don't earn anything from God in terms of our salvation. How could we? And actually, the hard reality is that none of us deserve anything from God the Father. A former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, once commented that the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin which made it necessary. And that's quite true. We come to God as morally bankrupt and guilty people and we cast ourselves on his grace and on his mercy. So the idea that God rewards people like us, people saved by grace, it's kind of absurd on one level. But as absurd as it may seem, this idea does crop up in the New Testament from time to time. The idea that the Lord looks on the life and the service of His people, the life and service which He has redeemed them for and then enabled by His Spirit, He looks on that and He chooses in His abundant generosity, somehow, in some way, to reward us. Now, why is that idea here and why does Jesus speak about it?
1: You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Invisible Religion, part of our series on the Sermon on the Mount called God's Blueprint for a New Society. Taking a look today at Matthew 6, the first 18 verses there. and We're going to get back to this message in just a moment, so I hope you'll stay with us. If you ever miss a program, come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. There you can stream the broadcast or download an mp3 for free. You can also listen if you have the Encounter of the Truth app. That's free and you're going to find that at your app store or again our website encounterofthetruth.org. Back to the message, here's Jonathan.
0: Well, apart from highlighting the sheer generosity and the sheer kindness of God, Jesus wants us to be properly motivated in the Christian life. Rather than care about the empty praise and attention of others, Jesus wants us to care about what God thinks of us, and the fact that God the Father stands ready and eager even to reward His children for their service of Him, it tells us that He cares a great deal how we live the Christian life. It reminds us that God has saved us for service. He has redeemed us that we might live a new kind of life, a life of fruitful service a life that will bring him glory, and he cares about that. He's watching, he's interested, and he even, in his generosity, has reward set aside for his faithful and fruitful servants. Jesus warns us against visible, ostentatious, hypocritical religion. The remedy to that kind of thing is to make a point of doing our acts of righteousness in secret, discreetly, and the reason He gives us for doing that is this wonderful, this extraordinary prospect of the Father's reward. Now, that's the big picture here. That's the big principle. We'll get into the specifics of Jesus' three key illustrations in a moment. But before we get into those giving, praying, fasting, let me just pause to ask each one of us, where and how are you and I most in danger of practicing our righteousness to win the praise of others? Where are we most in danger of religious hypocrisy of putting on an act? Maybe it's in one of the areas that Jesus highlights here, giving, praying, fasting, but maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's in an area of Christian service, leading a community group, teaching a class, volunteering in a kid's program. Perhaps as you reflect on your Christian service, you realize that you've been looking over your shoulder far too often, hoping that others are noticing the skill with which you serve, the wisdom that you demonstrate, noticing just how very hard you work in the Lord's service. Our sinful hearts are very deceitful. It's so easy for us to serve the Lord with incredibly mixed motives— And all of us, each one of us here needs to hear the call and the challenge of Jesus, the warning of Jesus. We also need to take on board his remedy, don't we? We need to take practical steps to get out of the limelight as we're able to figure out how to be as low profile as we can in our particular areas of service. Rather than inventing subtle ways of being noticed, we need to consider carefully how can we be discreet, consider how best to stay out of the spotlight and avoid drawing attention for attention's sake. And where our acts of righteousness are necessarily visible, well, we need to keep a close watch on ourselves, don't we? We need to keep a close watch on our motives. Whose opinion concerns us most? Whose reward do we ultimately seek? I was sad to read yesterday of the death of one of the world's leading mathematicians at the age of 40. Iranian-born Miriam Mirzakhani was the first woman to win the prestigious Fields Medal in mathematics, the only woman so far, and she ultimately became a professor of mathematics at Stanford University in California. The president of Stanford University has published a very rich tribute to her yesterday. In his tribute, he writes that the young professor was a brilliant mathematical theorist and also a humble person who accepted honors only with the hope that it might encourage others to follow her path. I thought that was a very nice thing to say. I thought that was a wonderful tribute. And it struck me that in the realm of Christian service and ministry, it would be wonderful if similar things could be said of each of us that we're humble, that we're not interested in attention for ourselves and for attention's sake. But we know how easy it is, each one of us, to seek and enjoy the attention and the praise of others, and to do so even in our Christian service. And so maybe one area you need to be thinking about, I need to be thinking about, is a particular area of Christian service. Or maybe for you, the danger zone is your study of Scripture, and your theological, your biblical knowledge? Are you a student of God's Word because you love Him and you want to know Him and you want to honor Him? Or is there a danger that you long that people would recognize that you're well-versed in the scriptures, that you're well-taught, that you're well-read, theologically mature, doctrinally sound? Perhaps for others here, the danger is to do with your parenting and your family life. Your house is a disciple-making factory. You've just got it figured out. You've got it down. Your kids are learning. Your kids are growing. They are flourishing spiritually. It's wonderful. But if you're honest, you kind of do hope that others might just notice what you've achieved. Talking about parenting with a friend, you casually mention over coffee at the end of the service, yeah, in our household, we aim to have a two-hour family Bible time every evening. All the kids memorized 15,000 Bible verses by the time they started grade one. (laughs) They're all signed up for Bible college now when they finish high school, and we've pre-registered them to be career missionaries in sub-Saharan Africa. As your friend encourages you to write a book on Christian parenting, you realize you enjoyed sharing that just a little bit too much. I wonder what's the potential area of danger for you, The area where you're tempted to practice your righteousness before others, longing for their praise. Jesus himself has three key practices that illustrate and apply this warning to us the practices of praying, of giving, and of fasting. And perhaps it's one of these that is your particular danger area. Well, let's look at each one of those in turn. The first illustration is that of giving. Jesus assumes that his followers will be generous givers. He begins this illustration by saying, verse 2, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. And there's plenty in the New Testament that calls us to be generous, both when it comes to the needs of our brothers and sisters, practical needs, and more generally when it comes to the work of the gospel as well. But right away, Jesus highlights the danger of religious hypocrisy in this area. The hypocrites, the actors, those who give for the sake of the praise of others, they make a big song and dance about it. They announce their generosity with trumpets to be honored by those around them. Just the other day, we were downtown, and we passed through the new atrium in the National Arts Center. It's a lovely job they've done there, a bright and airy space. But I I noticed just in passing as we walked out the door that there was a very large plaque in the entranceway listing all the major donors to the project. Now, that's a pretty standard practice with major projects that have involved donations. And it doesn't necessarily say anything about the motivation of those donors, But it's just interesting to reflect on that practice. Charitable organizations know that givers will generally be motivated by recognition. And so they sometimes offer varying degrees of recognition for sizable gifts. Bronze circle for $1,000, silver circle for $5,000, gold circle for $10,000, and so it goes on. And for all of us, there's something oddly attractive about that kind of thing. We love recognition in our sinful hearts. We love the praise of others. And so Jesus says you need to watch out. You need to be careful. If we give to the needy or to the work of the gospel and do so for the sake of the praise and approval of those around us, we may well get that praise and approval in due course. But theirs will be all the praise and approval we get we certainly won't receive the reward of the Father. And so Jesus says, be very practical in your approach here, very practical in guarding against this. He tells us, verse 3, simply not to allow our left hand to know what our right hand is doing so that our giving may be in secret the best guard against wrong motives in giving, the best way to train ourselves to give for the right reason and not for the wrong reason, the best approach is to simply ensure that our giving is discreet and done in secret. Then there won't be temptation. The picture Jesus gives is vivid and it makes the point, well, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Be so discreet that even the hand that is not involved won't know what the hand that is involved is doing. Barely allow yourself even to notice, even to reflect upon what you've done. Don't allow yourself the opportunity to praise yourself, and certainly don't allow others to do it. Jesus assumes that we, his people, will be marked by generosity. He assumes that we're givers. That's built into the discussion. And so his challenge for us is simply this. Are we being careful to ensure that we are discreet givers? What steps are you taking to ensure that your giving is kept quiet and not announced, not widely known?
1: Well, we do have to pause the message right there, but we'll continue next time here on Encounter the Truth of Jonathan Griffiths. Our message is called Invisible Religion. And if you missed any part of today's broadcast, you can always listen online. Our website is encounterthetruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported program. We depend on your generosity to bring you Jonathan's teaching each day. And As you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you not one but two copies of Jonathan's book, Light of the World. It's taking a look at the first Christmas, seeing how those events can bring us the light and the life that we're all searching for. This book is our thank you gift to you for your financial support. Find out more, give online, at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call 1-833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. For Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.